glad to uh, see a lot of smiling faces in here. Uh, again, it was a weird transition going from like no one in the building to at least some people, but it's so good to see people again. I love this. Um, this morning, we are going to continue through our series, The Promises of God, uh, and we are going to be looking at uh, the promise in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's workmanship. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a second here, but we have thousands of promises listed in the Bible, and God has spoken each one of these, and because we have them written down, we can trust that God will fulfill his promises, that he is faithful to carry on his word that he's spoken. And, and as we look at this promise, or uh, I want to say there's two promises here, uh, that God has prepared good works for us and that we are his masterpiece, as we look at this uh, we can recognize that he's given us purpose, that he's given us love, uh, and it's actually a good thing he's prepared work for us, not just that there's more work to do or something. Uh, I remember when I was reading over this passage in, in the past, I, I recall thinking, I'm like, oh man, there's more works for me to do, like I got to do something now. Um, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing God's given us purpose, and he's designed something specifically for each one of us. Uh, and, and I think we've got something wrong in our understanding of God if we think that he wants to give us meaningless work, if we think that he wants to give us roles and tasks that are just boring and that we have to suffer through at times. So we're going to look at these two promises today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to pull out uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. But like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians here, uh, he, he breaks his letter up into two parts, if you've read through the entire letter here. Uh, he, the first part is the gospel message. So uh, he retells what Jesus came to do uh, in his life and resurrection, the purposes that he came to uh, earth for. And the second part, he describes what a life following Jesus should look like. And as he describes the gospel message portion of uh, his letter here, he lists these two promises. And so these two promises, I, I think they give us um, an understanding of three different things that I want to be looking at today. So the first is that we have the blessing of freedom to follow Jesus. And we'll unpack that a little bit. The second uh, is that obedience to Jesus helps us to live the most satisfying and fulfilling life. And third... 
that these, these two promises help us to better grasp the extravagant love that God has for each one of us. Now, those are three pretty big promises or three purposes behind uh, these two promises. So uh, if you have a notepad with you or there's sometimes notes in the back of your Bible too, feel free to write those down. Uh, but first, the promise of being created in Jesus for good works helps us to live in the blessing of freedom that he's come to give each one of us. And if that just sounds like a bunch of Christianese, don't worry, I'll explain it. Um, the passage we read focuses on two very different lifestyles. Uh, I mean, Paul describes the first life as the one that we were all once stuck living in, uh, where, we, where we followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, uh, or evil, Satan. Uh, where we gratified the cravings of our sinful nature. Uh, we were objects of wrath. That would make a good band name too also. Uh, that's aside from the point. Um, he, he's simply talking about the life that we used to have before we started following Jesus. And Paul talks about this lifestyle in many of his other letters. Uh, it's usually marked with uh, a list of things that we're not supposed to do. Um, it's, this old life is one where people steal uh, where uh, they joke about inappropriate things, live in bitterness and anger, uh, drunkenness, tell lies, and hold on to resentment and unforgiveness. And that's the first life that Paul describes here. The second life is the life that we live once we recognize the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us, once we accept the blessing of his grace and his mercy. And Paul tells us that this life is marked as being full of God's love, uh, being made alive in Jesus, being saved from the wrath of our sin, and given eternal life and a specifically designed purpose for each one of us. Now, whether you've been a believer for a few years or a few days, or you don't even consider yourself to be a believer, um, it's helpful to recognize that Jesus can change our lives. And if you are a believer, it's helpful to reflect on the things that Jesus has saved you from how your life has changed. So how has your life changed since you met Jesus? Do you find that the transformation Paul talks of in this passage is the same as what you've experienced? Because these are two completely different lives that he's talking about, right? They're, they're literally polar opposites. Uh, one is lived following the kingdom of this world, uh, and the other is lived following the kingdom of heaven. Uh, one is lived trying to satisfy our own evil desires and the things that we want in this world, and the other is living in obedience to the works that God has prepared for us. Uh, one is working our way into heaven, and the other is accepting the sacrifice that Jesus has made so that we don't have to, but that we can live in the good works that he's prepared for us. Now, the choice is ours. That's part of the good news. But the problem that, that followers of Jesus or um, followers of God have found since the beginning of the world is that it's hard to let go of that first life. It's hard to completely let go of the things that we used to be. I mean, we, we all want God's grace and mercy. We, we want the freedom and security of eternal life. But still, we want the things of our old life as well sometimes. We still choose to act in the old life that we used once to live in. And it's because we've been given freedom by Jesus to make that choice for ourselves. Uh, Jesus died so that we could be set free 
from the power of sin and death. We don't have to be enslaved to it anymore. And we decide to accept that freedom or to continue walking in the direction that we want to go. You see, he's, he's already bought our freedom. We don't have a say in that. We are set free. But we still have to make the choice to live in that freedom. Um, Paul, Paul says it like this in one of his other letters. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves become burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He encourages us to live in freedom so that we stay away from our old life and the problems that that caused for us. The things in our life that took us away from him and his goodness and his purpose for our lives. And interestingly, the one thing Paul mentions here is that we have a choice to either do works in order to earn our salvation, in order to earn our way into heaven, or we can do works that God has prepared in advance for us, purpose. Now, you're probably thinking, well, who actually tries to work their way to heaven? Who actually thinks that they can try being good enough to make their way in? I mean, if you've heard the gospel message before, it always sounds pretty bleak. You can't make it. Uh, but it's more common than I'd like to admit. This is, this is shame, right? Shame is the voice that tells us we're not good enough because of the mistakes we've made. And shame is what we experience when we don't fully accept that Jesus has fully paid the price for our sins. When we believe the voice of shame, we go back to the places that God has saved us from. He, he has cleaned our slate. Our past is no longer ours, but his. But when we give in to these things, we turn back. And it can be hard to let go of the past. Sometimes we want to hold on to the past because we've made mistakes that we don't think can be forgiven. Or, or maybe we hold on to the past because other people have made mistakes towards us that we can't forgive. And so we hold on to bitterness and resentment. But remember the blessing of the promise. Remember that we are free to choose the life that we want to live. And Jesus has made the way for that. Why would we choose to live in the old way? Uh, let, me, let me give you an example. Uh, let's say that there's two people. One who has constant thoughts of bitterness. One who is constantly living in the past. And let's say we have another person who is constantly thinking of grace, uh, is constantly on their mind the things that God has done for them. Which of those two people do you think lives a more joyful life? Which of those two people do you think lives a more thankful life? Which of those two people do you think actually enjoys their life, really? Or, or maybe a person who is living in forgiveness and grace and another person who is choosing to live in the old ways of their lives, right? We, we have it sometimes thinking that God's way is, is not fun or not good or not better for us at times. And it is difficult to forgive. It is difficult to resist the temptation that we've always given into. It is, it is easy to be resentful, Right? Uh, John promised us that in this world, or Jesus in the book of John, uh, promised that in this world we will have trouble. But the good news is that we can take heart for he has overcome the world. We have the freedom to choose how we live. And if we choose to use our freedom to live for God, he promises to strengthen us for the things that he set before us. 
In, in Isaiah 40, 29, he gives us this promise. God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Remember, if God has spoken a promise, if we've got it written down in the Bible, we can hold on to it as truth. We can believe it and we can trust that God is faithful to carry that out. We need help to live in freedom. So, Jesus paid the price for our freedom and we are free to choose to live the life that we want to. One where we either try to earn our way into heaven or one where we follow God in the good works that he's prepared for us. So that's the first point. Second, uh, the promise of God having prepared good works for us um, shows us that obedience to God is the best way to live, the most satisfying life for ourselves that we can possibly choose. Uh, I want to read a couple other promises that we find in the Bible here. Uh, in, In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Which of you... If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. He, he, he says a couple things here. Uh, that we can trust that God has the best intentions for our life because he loves us. And in turn, he calls us to love others in that same way. And these two promises fit together because Jesus takes care of us as we take care of others. As we love others, we turn the attention away from our selfish desires and turn it towards our selfless goals and purpose that God has created for us. Jesus says that he will take care of our needs Let me put it to you like this. Who do you think can satisfy your desires better, you or God? God, who created the the sweetness of fruit, the the beauty of color, the nerve endings with which we can feel the touch of a newborn baby, the the ears to hear music and, and the voice of our loved ones. But maybe you think that God won't satisfy the desires you want him to because they're wrong. And you know they're wrong. Maybe they're selfish. But again, it's pointless. Can't God provide more fulfillment and satisfaction in the plans that he's prepared for us than in the things that we think can satisfy us? Because if we think that our selfish desires are greater than God's selfless desires for us, then we, we seriously misunderstand the love he has for each one of us. Now, maybe we want our sin in the moment. Maybe we want at times to desire our selfishness over our selflessness. And in these moments, we need Jesus' help. We need him to change us, to transform our hearts, to continue the work that he began in us. Maybe you think that's pointless. Maybe, maybe you've tried to change. You've tried getting rid of that sin that you just keep turning back to. But this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came to earth to help save us from the things in life that are in, unconquerable for us. First John says, this is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
God has prepared good works for us. He designed every one of us with purpose before he even spoke into existence the concept of light. Wouldn't it make sense then that Jesus has the best way of life for us and better than anything that we could come up with on our own? Yet at times we still think we can do it on our own and we still choose to go our own way because we think it'll satisfy us more. Um, I want to I explain with a bit of a story what I mean by that. I want to tell you about um, two very different stakes that I've had in my life, and I realize this is like the most Albertan analogy ever. Um, but the first stake that I ever had, not the first stake I ever had, but the first uh, story I want to tell you is what I thought was going to be the best stake that I have ever had. Uh, and I want to tell you the other story of the best stake that I actually ever did have. And I'm sorry, it's right before lunch. I know you're probably getting a little hungry. Um, now, what I thought was going to be the best steak I ever had was this past Valentine's Day, and I wanted to surprise Joelle, my fiance, uh, with a home-cooked meal. I forgot she's watching on the live stream. Hey, Joelle. I love you, too. I won't forget to take it out of the oven. We're good. Um, now, I went to the butcher. I, I looked up what the best kind of meat was, and I looked up this Gordon Ramsay recipe. I'm like, he's got to be the best chef, so I got the best... Uh, you know, recipes, best steak. I'm going to be good here. Um, but as I was cooking the steak, uh, I took it out of the oven. It wasn't quite done. So I set it on the stove and I was putting it back in the oven and I burned my hand. I got second degree burns all over. I wasn't smart. Um, and it was hard to enjoy the steak with my seared hand. But even then the steak was, it was salty and it was a little tough. I'm not that great of a chef. But that was the steak that I thought was going to be the best. I mean, I bought the right ingredients. I looked up the best recipe. I was like, okay, you know, I'm doing this for like the best purpose. My fiance, this is going to turn out great. Um, but that was not even close to the best steak that I've ever had. Again, bear with me here. Uh, the best steak I've ever eaten wasn't in a fancy restaurant or wasn't home cooked, obviously not by me at least. Uh, but it was on a hiking trip. Uh, we, were, we were hiking up Forget-Me-Not Mountain in Kananaskis and we had to crossed the surging river with our 50-pound bags on. Uh, we had to hike 10 kilometers up this mountain. And we made it to the top of the mountain just after supper. So it was already getting dark. We had to set up our tent. And we were all famished. We were very, very hungry after hiking all day. Uh, and after collecting some firewood, we began cooking our meal. Now, the steak that we would brought up with us up top to the top of the mountain wasn't, wasn't the best cut of meat. It was just some local grocery store meat. It wasn't from a butcher. Uh, it wasn't even cooked to like a nice medium rare. It was like the only seasoning we had was seasoning salt. Uh, but I still remember that first bite of steak. It was the best steak I've ever had in my entire life. Um, it was the most delicious thing I think I've ever eaten, to be honest. Now, I fully expected that the steak that I made on Valentine's Day would be the best. I mean, I, I, I thought it would satisfy me just like that steak I've had up on that mountain. And in this analogy, I'm not saying that I followed God in one case and I didn't follow God in the other. Um, but it, it's, it's two types of satisfaction that I'm trying to get at. It's a lot like the way in which we try to satisfy our own desires. In, in the first case, I try to go my own way. I, I try to make the best steak I possibly can. I give my best efforts to what I think will satisfy me. And in the end, it's still not bad. Like, it was still steak. It's better than nothing. But up on that mountain, I wasn't focused on making the best steak. I didn't have to prepare it 
for a long time. I didn't have the best cut of meat or the best garnishing or seasons. But it gave me more satisfaction than anything else I possibly could have prepared. It's, it's just like the most refreshing cup of water isn't the, the coldest or the most expensive, but the one drank when you're the most thirsty. We can try to pursue our desires in life on our own, and we can even attain them. We can satisfy ourselves to some degree, but it's far less fulfilling and satisfying than what God can work in our lives, than, than what God wants us to pursue. In Psalm 37, David says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We are meant to delight ourselves in Jesus, not to pursue after our desires. And when we do this, we live more satisfying lives. Uh, I just want to read for you a quote from C.S. Lewis's uh, book, The Weight of Glory, where he talks about um, our desires and how he sees them lived out. Uh, This is what he says. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good is to earnestly hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I suggest that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics, and there is no part of it in the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to continue making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Our lives are most satisfying, most fulfilling, most joyful, and most full of hope when we follow what Jesus has commanded us, when we live the life and are dwelling within the good works that he's prepared for us. So that's the second point. Third, Uh, The promise of being God's masterpiece helps us to understand the extravagant love that he has for us. The the Greek word for masterpiece here is poema. I'm not going to go all Greek or Hebrew on you, don't worry. Um, But this is where we get our English word for poem. Something, something that's a work of art. And this is something that God has put time and effort into, that he has not just thrown together, uh, Picture in your minds uh, Michelangelo's Statue of David or, or Mozart's compositions or, or Shakespeare's plays, the, the great pyramids of Egypt. You see such beauty and, and you know that a great amount of time and effort and thought went into these incredible works. But comparing these man-made statues and music and structures is, is ridiculous compared to God's capabilities. No one of those masterpieces is as skillfully or thoughtfully created as you. God took careful time to create you and and designed each of us with a specific purpose. If you are here, you are here for a reason. If you are alive, then God has a plan for you, one that was designed specifically for you. And if you think that you are a boring piece of work, you fail to see the grandeur of your own created nature. You are created more brilliant than the sun 
and more glorious than any rushing waterfall or great mountain. Because neither the sun nor the earth can comprehend the beauty and creativity of the maker. And no other work of God's was made in the creator's image. There's nothing boring about your life because God loved you so much that he was prepared just for you what he's given you to do. Every detail of your life is part of God's purpose. Every part of it. I mean, God thought of you being so valuable that he did everything possible to be with you. He sacrificed his one and only son just so you could be with him. So, what is holding you back from living for Jesus? What, what's holding you back from following his way? Because if we actually believe that he's the creator, that he's good to us, and that he's probably smarter than us by a little bit, or knows more of what's going on, can't he satisfy us more than we can try to on our own? Because no other purpose, goal, or, or lifestyle will bring you as much satisfaction and fulfillment as living for Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if, if you want something practical, I always like giving something practical uh, in sermons, uh, I would encourage you, read through the book of Ephesians. Uh, like I said earlier, it's accounting the gospel story, the first half, and then the second half kind of tells us how to live out that. So if you're like, I don't know how to live for Jesus, you can read the book of Ephesians. It's a pretty good start at the very least. But um, I, want to, I want to close with this verse, and this comes from Ephesians as well, one of Paul's prayers for uh, the church in Ephesus. And this is my prayer for us today as well. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the believers to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have made the way for us to live a fulfilling life in you, that you've created a way for us to live in freedom. And we need your help not to turn back to the things that enslave us, God. We want to live in freedom. Some days we choose not to, but God, even then we need you to help us choose better. Father, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you love us beyond even our understanding. And I ask that just this day, you would give us a better grasp of the love that you have for us. But God, as we live out your purposes, help us to see your goodness. Help us to trust and fill us with faith and hope that we need to do so, God.